Hello and welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with the A.B. Corcor Foundation for Mental Health. I'm Terry, the creator and co-host of this podcast. I've lived with depression most of my life, and I know how easy it can be to feel all alone in the experience. I'm not alone, and you aren't either. And I'm Dr. Anita Sands, a licensed clinical psychologist and life coach with a number of my own diagnoses, all of which bring a certain amount of anxiety and depression along with them. There is great power in shared experiences. We share our own as we engage in intimate and candid conversations with our weekly guests, exploring different perspectives on and experiences with depression. We keep it real because depression is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. Hi, Terry. Hello, Anita. So, you know that when our cars break down, we get them serviced. Our expectation is that after a couple of days and a bill, which was much less, we will drive away and not have to worry about that issue for a while. When our vision seems to worsen and we're just not seeing as clearly as we used to, we know we need to get our eyes checked and that it might be time for a new set of glasses with a different prescription. And we wouldn't hesitate to share with family members, friends, or coworkers that we need to get those things checked out, and that we're calling in someone with more training than us to get the job done. But when it comes to mental health, whether we've lost our energy, we don't really care about things in our lives that used to matter to us, that our sex drives or our sleep patterns have really changed, or even that suicidal thoughts have invaded our minds, we have gotten the message that we should somehow just be able to handle it on our own or that getting professional help means that we're weak or even crazy. Mm. Today, we are going to talk with a therapist, our own Anita, about going to a therapist in the hopes that taking away some of the unknowns will make the experience more comfortable. What really happens in a therapy session? Do you actually lie on a couch and talk about your parents like they always show on TV? Here now is Dr. Anita Sands giving her voice to depression. Let's start with the before we see the therapist. How do we even know when it's time, when we need to, I consider it sort of throwing up a white flag, but it can be much earlier than that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it'll be unique to each person, but when is the time to finally say, okay, I need to call in someone, I need to get some help. I think there's two ways to think about it. One is, obviously, if your depression is affecting your ability to function, um, you've noticed it, people around you have noticed it, we're reacting to the fact that it's really causing us problems in our ability to, to get through every day. But I really want to strongly recommend that we could be proactive Mm -hmm. instead of just reactive. Um, If you're struggling, even though no one else is noticing it, and maybe you're, you're really what other people would say is really high functioning, but it's affecting your quality of life. Mm -hmm. It's, you don't like the thoughts that are going through your mind. Mm -hmm. You're really having to work way harder to, to feel good, um, to battle certain thoughts. You're not feeling the way you think you could or that you should Do you want to yeah you just you just don't have to wait until it's i don't know so bad that bad right that's a good point yeah i i really want to stress that 
it is easier both for the therapist and for the client to really see improvement and more rapid improvement if you don't wait until it's really, really bad before you you go in. Right. Come in well before you think you need it. And honestly, you're likely going to get the feedback from your therapist that, no, I'm glad you're here now. In fact, you probably could have been here three months, six months, even a year ago, Mm -hmm. and it still would have been okay to have come in and and had us working on these things. Mm -hmm. It is interesting. We talked about, you know, car repair and and getting our eyes checked. Believe me, therapy Mm -hmm. was... Wasn't even considered. So it's not like my parents denied me therapy when I was a child. We just, it was not even on the table. It was not even in the air. It was just not considered. Mm -hmm. But when I had children, I made sure it was. And I always said to them, hey, you know, if our Mm -hmm. feet hurt, we go to a foot doctor. If our, you know, all all those different kinds of doctors we go to for their specialty, I said, if our feelings hurt, Mm -hmm. we're going to go to a feeling doctor. So it was not a, oh, they're falling apart, I'm falling apart, I need to see a therapist. It was what you just said. It's like, let's let's do this right. This is something I haven't dealt with before. And I even use a non-medical way of thinking about therapy to help people understand this too, which is think about when you get an attorney involved in your life. Mm-hmm. When would you seek the advice of an attorney? When you've got a major legal matter coming up, you know, somebody's threatening a lawsuit or you've got to deal with a very complicated, you know, maybe a real estate um, issue or something where it's like, this is way over my head. I'm not really sure Mm -hmm. there's, you know, there's some complicated matters going on. And it really would make sense to get somebody who understands the law because this is this is confusing. There's a lot of implications. And so I will often just even take it out of the realm of the healthcare industry and just say, listen, bring in someone who has some knowledge about this and can help you navigate this entire confusing system. And that's what a good mental health provider can do too. You don't have to see a mental health person all the time. It's it's not like um, a dentist where, you know, you got to go in every six months for a cleaning or, or a check-in or mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. You can just go in when you need the information, when you need the assistance. Um, <laughs> so I'll use, I'll use just even, you know, even that analogy, if it, if it will help somebody realize, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not crazy, but I need some expert outside opinion, you know, to, to figure out what to do here. So you said crazy mm-hmm. and that is something I hear, you know, mm-hmm. I don't need a therapist, I'm not crazy. Why is there so much resistance? And and culturally, even the give it to God, keep it in the house, mm-hmm. you know, this is a private matter. And I like to emphasize it can be private with your therapist. Um, why do you think people will go on meds before they'll see a therapist? You know, the the roots of stigma are, <laughs> they're, they're deep. <laughs> they're, mm-hmm. they're really, really deep. And, and we just have an awful lot of history in ascribing a lot of of negative personality traits or even worse to individuals who are suffering from mental health symptoms instead of recognizing that that either a these are very very normal human ways of being and reacting under certain stressful or traumatic situations or it's all in the realm of normal human experience in terms of certain genetic influences. You know, some people are more prone to developing cancer or allergies or things like that. So for whatever reason, though, mental health has always been seen, maybe because it's hard to see. It is one of those invisible illnesses. We only see it through behavior. 
We don't know how it gets fixed. You know, it happens with medication. It happens behind closed doors with a therapist. So maybe the whole thing is just a little bit confusing, amorphous, invisible. Um, I've heard so many of my clients, and I know you've you've addressed this on on the podcast, people saying, I think it would be so much easier if I had cancer, if I had a brain tumor. Right. Right. You know, people would know how to treat me. There would be some sympathy, some mm-hmm. empathy. A test result that you can see. Yep. Absolutely. And, and some, like nobody would think I was a horrible person, you know, right. because I had cancer. But but somehow people think if, if I can't work because I, I'm depressed, then that like that's somehow what? A, a, a personality Failing. flaw? Yeah. I'm weak. I'm lazy. Yeah. Um, what? I don't know. So... No, you're not crazy to see a therapist. The healthiest people go to therapy. And I'm speaking as a therapist. I'm speaking as a person who's been in therapy and all good therapists have have gone to therapy. The healthiest people are the ones who go and get the help, get the education, um, get the resources, learn the new skill sets so that they can get better faster, so they can help people that they love get better. Yeah. And I've shared in a previous episode that my mother recently passed and when I knew that was coming, I got into therapy. I hadn't been in therapy for years. And so I tried to get ahead of it, as you said, not mm-hmm. waiting for it to take me out yes. or down. And I knew that this could be a trigger or a you know a factor that influenced my mental health and my depression. And I said, mm-hmm. hey, I need to talk this through on the front end so that I'm able to handle it on the back right. end when it actually happens. I remember, I remember when you did it, and I remember saying how smart that was. But, you know, it's no different than if you're saying, listen, I'm about to take a cross-country yes. trip in my yes. car. You're going to take it in for a full yes. checkup, oil change, make sure the tires are good. You're, you're, that's being proactive. So, yeah, if you've got a huge stressor mm-hmm. looming on the horizon, mm-hmm. that's a great time to Absolutely. get in. Um, you, don't, you don't need to wait until you're broken down on the side of the right. road. You know? I love that metaphor. Yeah. So most of us have limited... Lots of things, right? Limited time, limited funds. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're depressed, limited energy to be sure. So yeah. the thought of going to see a therapist and then it's not the right one. And I think, oh, I yeah. told you it was a stupid idea. I told you I didn't. I told you it wouldn't work. And, and the whole thing is never going to happen after that experience. How do we choose a good therapist? How do we know if there's going to be chemistry, mm-hmm. if that's the right word, a connection, if there's going to be trust? What, what can we do before we make that first appointment? There's a lot you can do. You know, they say you have to do therapist shopping. I like to think of it as, you know, how did you figure out what your favorite combination of toppings was for your favorite pizza? <laughs> mm, yeah, you do try <laughs> you know, to. Did you figure that out the first time or did, did you have a lot of different pizzas yeah. and a lot of different combinations and figured out, I really hate mushrooms, you know, don't ever put ham and pineapple on mine. Yes. Okay, so that's really, that's really important for you to remember is that this is not a one and done. Not all therapists are alike. In fact, we're as, as different and unique as, as everybody else. Mm-hmm. Our training is very different. Our therapy styles are very different. Our personalities are very different. So for you to think, I'm going to give it a shot. I talked to one person. It wasn't a match. I didn't like it. I'm done. Therapy doesn't work for me. That's so silly. That's like ordering, ordering a pizza, you know, all the toppings are on it that you, you know, that you really don't like and saying, well, pizza sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't want to do that. Metaphor. So 
you got to dedicate yourself to finding the right one. And that is hard when you have limited energy. But you can look at people's profiles and kind of get a sense online of, of who they are and kind of what their vibe is. That can help. So you can research them. Um, you can usually, not always, but usually ask for like a free 15-minute, you know, Zoom or, or phone consultation mm. with a therapist before you would schedule an appointment. And you can, especially if you prepare for that, you can really get a sense of whether or not this is somebody that you might like to work with. It can save a lot of time, Gosh, a yes. lot of time. You've written some things about how to do that, what to ask, how to prepare mm-hmm. for that meeting, and we can link to it? Yes, absolutely. I, I have written about it online. We'll make sure that you can link to that. If I were going in with depression and, and I needed to find a good therapist, I would definitely want to know how many years they've been practicing. I would want them to be able to answer the question, how would you work with someone who? And then I would sort of kind of describe my situation. If it was, um, how would you work with someone who's been severely depressed for five years? 10 years? Or how would you work with someone who was functioning really well, but then for the last two weeks hasn't been able to get out of bed? Mm-hmm. You know, how would you approach that? Um, being able to hear them get very specific about, you know, what tends to work and what they found works and why they would go with this instead of this can really help you figure out, is this somebody I, I think I could work with? Okay, so we've made a couple calls, um, maybe had a mm-hmm. couple of those free sessions on the phone for short ones and we pick somebody we go in they ask the question what brings you here today mm-hmm. what if you just don't even know because i know for myself i didn't walk in and say i believe i have a depression mm-hmm. and that i have been suffering this since my teens you know i was like i just hate life and i have i don't care about anything or anyone and you know mm-hmm. i mean can you do is that acceptable? It, it, <laughs> Will that work? Yeah. I mean, do you have to know why you're there? Other no. than you just hate the way things no, are? No, I actually think that that's completely and totally acceptable if that's the truth. And, and that's how I would start if that was the situation is, listen, this is really all I know for sure. And that's part of the problem. Because, you know, I'd like to be in a, in a place where I could tell you exactly what's going on and what I need and, and how to get out of this, but I'm stuck and this is all I know. And so I'm really counting on you to help me figure this out. That's a great starting point right there, right there. I know there are people who want a validation of their experience and for you to say, that sucks. And, and there's, I think, great value in, in saying and hearing that. There are other people who want want a little kick in the ass want a little motivation (laughs) want a little push can you ask like how are you gonna talk to me yes yes absolutely yeah you you do need to get clear about what is it that both what do you want and what do you need because sometimes those things are the same and sometimes they're not Mm -hmm. you know sometimes what you want is to be heard and understood and validated and what you really need is somebody who's who's really going to be very kind of in your face and then get really solution focused and hold you accountable and sometimes that's not what you need Mm -hmm. and that's okay to do to say to a therapist i mean this isn't really working i don't think we're a good match would you refer me to someone else i mean that could sound really rude (laughs) absolutely It is not rude. This is the most important thing I, I really need to make sure that clients understand is that you need to be brutally mm. honest with your therapist. And it's not just about you. It's about your therapist. You need to give them really clear feedback. 
You know, it's not just so your therapist can be, oh, great, then I'll change and I'll do it differently. It's really so your therapist can say, you know, I'm so glad you're letting me know this because I'm not very good at what I think you need. Hmm. Let me get you to someone who can do that. Hmm. Um, we're, we're supposed to create the safe place in therapy for you to do exactly that. And that means you being honest about your stuff, but also being honest about what's happening in the therapy session. Okay, so... We have done that. We've started, let's say, a couple sessions in. Is this like they say with antidepressants, you might have to be on these for the rest of your life? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't want to be in therapy for the rest of my life. Can I just go and say, I'm having this hard time, or as we said earlier, I'm anticipating this hard time, and when things start to feel better, you go, okay, bye, or, or is it a check-in? What's the procedure? In terms of like how long, how long should you expect therapy to take? Yeah. How long should you expect for, yeah, well. Does your therapist say you're done? I mean, when uh, does it ever end? Well, first of all, again, it depends and it depends mm-hmm. on so many different things. But second of all, this is something you and your therapist should be talking about. So if your therapist isn't bringing it up, kind of saying, let's see what you came in saying you wanted to work on and let's see how far we've gotten with that. And if there's anything else that you know, has come up since then that we need to work on. But let's kind of keep a sense of where are we and and have we done what what you wanted. That's important that you and your therapist are having those conversations about where am I? How close do you think we are to being done? And how will we know? What's done? Right. And what is done? And maybe done for one person is, I don't think I need to come in here on a regular basis once I feel like I'm no longer battling suicidal thoughts every week, because I'm okay with a certain level of functioning as long as I don't have those. And another person might say, listen, I have a lot of extra other kinds of things that I want to master. I want to walk out of here being able to set boundaries and be assertive and, you know, They've got a whole other list of things that mm-hmm. that might take some more time. They may have some trauma work, you know, from the past yep. that they want to work through. So, again, this is why I'm saying it depends. It really does depend on what do you want to have accomplished before you feel like you're done. Also recognizing, though, that do all of us have stuff that we could be in therapy every week for the rest of our lives if we wanted to and still get benefit from? Absolutely, we could. It's all about having that honest conversation. You know, Mm -hmm. I I maybe would like to be here, but do I need to be here? So you just talk. Okay, you brought up suicidal thoughts. And one of the things that I've heard in a number of interviews with our guests is Mm -hmm. that they don't want to share that. Um, There's a fear with mandatory reporters. If I say to you, Anita... I want to die in my sleep every morning I wake up and say, shit, I woke up again. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid you're going to dial 911 before I'm out the door and police are going to be in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. Is that a real fear? Might be. See, here's the thing. I- I'm saying be completely honest with your therapist. At the same time, before you do that, I want you to know how your therapist is going to respond to your being completely honest. I think that that's also important. So, you know, if you're a person who struggles with passive or active suicidal ideation, if you don't know your therapist really well, you guys haven't had these conversations, you want to have those conversations first. And you want to do those as you're interviewing the therapist or Mm -hmm. as hypotheticals. You know, Mm -hmm. if a client were to tell you 
this, mm-hmm. what would your professional responsibility be in that situation? Mm-hmm. Once you know the parameters and the way that that particular therapist says that they would respond, then you know what you're dealing with as the client. And I wish that it was like one size fits all. You know, if you say this, then every single therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist would respond exactly the same way. But that's not the case. And if you are having active suicidal thoughts that you cannot manage, if you were to be honest with your therapist, your therapist would do everything possible to get you to a place where your suicidal thoughts won't overtake you and take your life. Your therapist wants to keep you alive so we can get you past that suicidal crisis and you'll be here. And maybe in the moment, it could just be terrible to have to talk about it, to admit it, to have to go through a even a, a temporary hospitalization. But if we've got you alive and, and you get to experience life after that, it's it's probably going to be exactly the right thing to say, to be willing to take that risk and be honest about it and let this person help you. And if somebody's in danger, as you say, the hope is that they get the help and the support they need. Um, okay. So one of the thoughts I'm having is, you know, we've, we've made a bunch of comparisons here from pizza to car, car repair. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about physical therapy and that when I go to yeah. my physical therapist, I have a bad back and he, she, or they say, you've got to whatever, do this exercise, do this stretch, stop doing this, start doing that. And if I don't do anything until I come in next time and they push and pull, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not actually going to get any better and I'm still going to be in pain. And that seems like a pretty mm-hmm. good metaphor for psychotherapy as well. Right, right. And it, and it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a very good metaphor. Therapy is one hour out of a week. That's if you, if, if you have the resources and you're lucky enough to see somebody one hour a week. Yeah. You know, it might be one hour a month. Mm-hmm. And the idea that sitting with somebody one hour a month could actually have a huge, huge impact is kind of ridiculous. So the ability to have some influence, to guide, to direct, to, you know, ask you to try some things, to experiment with things, to do some homework, you know, like what your physical therapist would ask you to be doing mm-hmm. between, you know, your sessions. Now that has potential. That's got some potential for there to be some change. So if you ever have this idea that somehow the therapist is going to fix me or the therapy is going to fix me, like you're the passive recipient of therapy. Right. That's that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are the most important part of therapy. It's not your therapist. They they can provide some some education, some tools, some encouragement, validation, support. They want to see you get better. But they don't have any control and very, very little influence over what you decide to do in your life outside that therapy session. That's all you. And so you actually have the power. You've got the power. And if you use it, it really does make a difference. Nice. Before we leave, we posted on our Facebook page asking if anybody had a question since we were going to be doing an Ask a Therapist episode. And one man did record a question. And I wonder if you have a second to answer it. Mm-hmm. I've been listening to your podcast with my partner for the last couple of months, um, and it feels like a long shot, but I have to try something to help myself. I'd find it incredibly helpful to be able to have a conversation with someone about learned helplessness, shame, and how your brain can become wired to fix it on negative self-beliefs and unhelpful narratives. I've spent the last 10 years psychoanalyzing myself, and I have a lot of insight. Yeah, I feel cognitively stuck. Any help would be unbelievably appreciated. Thank you. 
Okay. You know, we're not going to be providing therapy, but first of all, you're absolutely on track when you say that learned helplessness and getting stuck in negative thought patterns, there's absolutely a connection there. Definitely something that you could go into therapy to explore. Um, There's a saying in the field that neurons that fire together wire together. So it's absolutely the case that if we think the same thought pattern over and over and over, then that's the one that our brain is going to return to the most easily. So it's very, very easy to get stuck because we're going to always go with the path of least resistance. And that includes just with the way that our brain's neurons fire. So to get unstuck really does require um, changing our thought patterns, and it's uncomfortable, and it's weird. But there are several different methods, several different therapy techniques and skill sets that you can learn. And a therapist can guide you through them with homework exercises and workbooks. And it's absolutely worth doing. Because one of the things we can take advantage of is the fact that we have something called neuronal plasticity, which means that our brain's Neurons can learn how to fire together differently and wire together differently. Uh, we may always have knee-jerk reactions to certain things, but then we can we can make use of a different pattern, a different thought pattern, which can lead to a different behavioral pattern and a different mood mood state. So, highly recommend um, that you do something about what you've discovered, which is absolutely learned helplessness and getting stuck in a negative thought pattern, depression. It's all related. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate and reflect on your own experience with depression, or better understand how to support someone else who is struggling. If this episode has been of comfort or value to you, know that there are hundreds of others like it in our archive, which you can easily find at our website, givingvoicetodepression.com. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up, even if it's hard. If someone else is struggling, take the time to listen.